very natural and very human to be more focused on the problem, to be more focused on what seems to be the urgency of the problem, in this case, hungry lions. But we're being taught, both by Neville and from this source text, the scriptures themselves, we're being taught that the correct way to handle the furnaces, the correct way to handle the imminent threat or danger is to remove our attention from it. Welcome back to another episode of Daily Neville. I am your host, Josiah Brandt, and Daily Neville is all about breaking down the teachings of Neville Goddard, making them easy to understand, easy to digest, easy to apply in 20 minutes or less. Today, we are continuing with Neville's famous book, Your Faith is Your Fortune. And this chapter in particular is a very special chapter because in this chapter, we're going to dive into the esoteric, hidden, inner, mystic meaning of the story of Daniel in the lion's den. Now, I myself and perhaps many of you grew up in a traditional sense being told this story of Daniel in the lion's den. I remember very vividly hearing this story told in Sunday school. And so I'm really looking forward to this chapter exploring the mystic meaning because the mystic meaning is always an additional layer upon the story, uh, an interpretation that goes beyond what initially meets the eye. So with that being said, let's go ahead and dive right in. Daniel in the lion's den. Thy God, whom thou serves continually, he will deliver thee. Daniel 6, 16. The story of Daniel, Neville writes, is the story of every human. It is recorded that Daniel, while locked in the lion's den, turned his back upon the hungry beasts. And with his vision turned toward the light coming from above, he prayed to the one and only God. The lions, who were starved on purpose for the feast, remained powerless to hurt the prophet. Daniel's faith in God was so great that it finally brought about his freedom and his appointment to a high office in the government of his country. This story was written for you, to instruct you in the art of freeing yourself from any problem or prison in the world. Most of us, on finding ourselves in the lion's den, would be concerned only with the lions. We would not be thinking of any other problem in the whole wide world but that of lions. Yet we are told that Daniel turned his back upon them and looked toward the light that was God. If we could follow the example of Daniel, while threatened with any dire disaster such as lions, poverty, or sickness, If, like Daniel, we could remove our attention to the light that is God, our solutions would be similarly simple. We're going to start right there. How many of us in this furnace that we call life here on earth, life is full of furnaces, how many of us are more focused on the heat of the furnace than we are possibly on the solution that is the savior or the state that would contain within it the feeling of the wish fulfilled. It's very natural and very human to be more focused on the problem, to be more focused on what seems to be the urgency of the problem, in this case, hungry lions. But we're being taught, both by Neville and from this source text, the scriptures themselves, we're being taught that the correct way to handle the furnaces, the correct way to handle the imminent threat or danger is to remove our attention from it 
Now, this flies in the face of what we've been taught. Usually, our conditioning tells us that when we're under threat, to focus on the threat, to react when faced with something dire, something uh, threatening, something scary, to react with fear to that source of fear. But we're being taught here through the example of Daniel that the true way to handle any type of threat in our reality is to actually move our attention from it and instead to focus upon the Savior, which is God, which is the state that will save us, the state of being, the state of awareness that will save us. Daniel is giving us an example of this, and Neville is really highlighting exactly how revelatory this story is about how we must act when faced with similar situations. In our modern society, we may not have lions threatening us, but what else do we have? What other sources of pressure do we have in our lives? This story can apply to all of those sources of pressure. Continuing with Neville's words. For example, Neville writes, If you were imprisoned, no man would need to tell you that what you should desire is freedom. Freedom, or rather, the desire to be free, would be automatic. The same would be true if you found yourself sick, or in debt, or in any other predicament. Lions represent seemingly unsoluble situations of a threatening nature. Every problem automatically produces its solution in the form of a desire to be set free from that problem. Therefore, turn your back upon your problem and focus your attention upon the desired solution by feeling yourself to be already that which you desire. Continue in this belief and you will find that your prison wall will disappear as you begin to express that which you have become conscious of being. Neville continues, I have seen people apparently hopelessly in debt apply this principle and in but a very short time, debts that were mountainous were removed. I have also seen those whom doctors have given up as incurable apply this principle and in an incredibly short time, their so-called incurable disease vanished and left no scar. Now, to illuminate this particular paragraph, we can draw on things that Neville has taught us in other parts of his work that we've explored here in episodes of Daily Neville. We've talked a lot about how our attention is life force energy, and that which we place our attention upon grows through the application, through the feeding of our life force energy into it. Therefore, if we are in debt and we continue to focus on the debt, what are we doing? We are flowing our life force energy into the state called debt. You can understand if if you really get this principle of consciousness, you can understand how that would actually be counterproductive. It would not do you any good to focus on the debt. Rather, you should turn your back upon the lions, turn your back upon the debt, and focus on the feeling of being free. Focus on the feeling of being independently wealthy. Focus on the feeling of having a positive net worth, if we're continuing with this debt analogy. Now, this can also be applied towards sickness. If we're focused on the diagnosis of a sickness, if all of our attention is flowing into the state of being sick, you can see how that would continue to perpetuate the state of being sick. So what's the answer here? The answer here is to remove our attention from the symptoms of being sick and to focus upon the feeling and state of being healthy. This means that if you or someone you know is bedridden, 
Rather than focusing on the confines of the bed, the imagination should be focused upon the feeling of being up and about and living life freely and happily and fulfilled. The the focus would be on what would the feeling be like if I were not bedridden? What would the feeling be like if I were fully healthy in this moment? What would I be doing if I were expressing full health right now? And then you would allow your imagination to run with that idea. You allow your imagination to begin to give that idea life. Continuing with Neville's words, look upon your desires as the spoken words of God, and every word of prophecy is that which you are capable of being. Do not question whether you are worthy or unworthy to realize your desires. Accept them as they come to you. Give thanks for them as though they were gifts. Feel happy and grateful for having received such gifts. Then go your way in peace. Now, this is something that I have learned over the years of learning from Neville. I met Neville a number of years ago, and in sitting with these teachings and really beginning to apply them in my own personal life, I began to understand that when I feel the urge of a desire, the correct way to respond to that visceral feeling of an urge of desire is to immediately accept it as a prophecy of fulfillment, meaning that feeling the urge of desire is a thank you, Father. I now see that this is part of my expression. So I see something that I'm like, wow, what, wouldn't it be wonderful if I had that or were that? Rather than displacing it in time and space and saying, oh, maybe someday, I look at it and say, oh, that's a prophecy. That's actually the bridge that I'm walking across right now. And the fact that I feel an urge of desire towards this thing means that it's for me. In some aspect, it is for me. So thank you. Thank you for giving me this forewarning, if you will, this prediction, if you will, that this is destined for me. And it's a celebration. It's a celebration of desire. And so desire becomes not something that that makes you uh, in a state of lack or of wanting. Rather, desire becomes a celebration, something that you actually cherish because you understand what it means in the bigger scope of things if you can learn to accept it freely as a gift. And that's the key. You must accept your desires freely as a gift the instant you become aware of them. Neville continues, such simple acceptance of your desires is like the dropping of fertile seed into an ever-prepared soil. When you drop your desire in consciousness as a seed, confident that it shall appear in its full-blown potential, you have done all that is expected of you. Very, very clear instruction here. When you have done that, you've done all that is expected of you. That's all you have to do is accept the desire as a gift and drop that seed. To be worried or concerned about the manner of their unfoldment is to hold these fertile seeds in a mental grasp and therefore to prevent them from really maturing to full harvest. So, when you feel a desire, when you become aware that you have a desire, and rather than just accepting it as a gift and dropping it, you allow it to sit in your mind with some anxiety of, well, how is that going to happen? And, you know, I'm worried about this or I'm concerned about how it's going to unfold. How, 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 right? How is, how is the question we don't want to ask? Why? Because it places our desire in a mental escrow. 
a mental escrow. This is the mental grasp that Neville is speaking of. Rather than dropping the seeds, we're now holding them in our hand in a mental escrow saying, well, I don't know about this. I don't know how this is going to come to be. I don't know how this is going to come to pass. Let me hold on to this a little bit longer while I try to figure it out. It's a very human thing to do, but it's to our detriment to continue to do that. We must learn to accept them openly with a grateful heart and drop them, take them out of escrow, let them go on their way and produce their own method of fulfillment. When we're planting our garden in the spring and we push that seed into the soil, we don't have to worry or be concerned about how this flower is going to grow. We trust that the seed has within itself the recipe for fulfillment. From seed all the way to bloom is taken care of. We don't have to do that work. The recipe is contained within the seed. The same is absolutely true for our desires. Neville continues, don't be anxious or concerned as to results. Results will follow just as surely as day follows night. Have faith in this planting until the evidence reveals to you that it is so. Your confidence in this procedure will pay great rewards. You wait but a little while in the consciousness of the thing desired. Then suddenly, when you least expect it, the thing felt becomes your expression. Life is no respecter of persons and destroys nothing. It continues to keep alive that which man is conscious of being. Things will disappear only as man changes his consciousness. Deny it if you will, it still remains a fact that consciousness is the only reality, and things but mirror that which you are conscious of being. The heavenly state you seek will be found only in consciousness, for the kingdom of heaven is within you. Your consciousness is the only reality, the eternal head of creation. That which you are conscious of being is the temporal body that you wear. Let's look at that again. Neville is saying, your consciousness is the only living reality and the eternal head of creation. And your body, your temporal body, is that which you are conscious of being. So consciousness in its vast scope, and then human, which is what we are conscious of being, human being. To turn your attention, Neville writes, from that which you are aware of being, is to decapitate that body. But just as a chicken or snake continues to jump and throb for a while after its head has been removed, likewise, qualities and conditions appear to live for a little while after your attention has been taken from them. This is an incredibly revealing sentence. I'm going to read it one more time. To turn your attention from that which you are aware of being is to decapitate that body, the temporal body that you wear. But just as a chicken or snake continues to jump and throb for a while after its head has been removed, likewise, qualities and conditions appear to live for a little while after your attention has been taken from them. Incredibly instructive. When you remove your attention from a problem, it doesn't necessarily disappear immediately. 
Just as when you uproot a plant from your garden and you set it off to the side, you'll notice that it stays green for a little while until slowly but surely the life force energy drains out of it and it turns brown and eventually back to dust. Same thing happens with your consciousness, with your state of being. If there's something that you're currently aware of being and you decide you don't wish to be aware of being it anymore, and so you withdraw your attention from it, it will take a little bit of time for that life force energy to be drawn back out of it, for that state to decay, to fully decay, to where you won't see it anymore. So it is important to be aware that this is the process. And rather than withdrawing your attention and then panicking because it's still there tomorrow, understand that it has been decapitated. You're just waiting for the rest of the body to fall over dead. Make sense? Continuing with Neville's words. Man, not knowing this law of consciousness, constantly gives thought to his previous habitual conditions and, by being attentive to them, places upon these dead bodies the eternal head of creation. Thereby, he reanimates and resurrects them. You must leave these dead bodies alone and let the dead bury their dead. Man, having put his hand to the plow, that is, after assuming the consciousness of the quality desired, by looking back, can only defeat his fitness for the kingdom of heaven. As the will of heaven is ever done on earth, you are today in the heaven that you have established within yourself. For here on this very earth, your heaven reveals itself. The kingdom of heaven really is at hand. Now is the accepted time. So, create a new heaven. Enter into a new state of consciousness. And a new earth will appear. As the will of heaven is ever done on earth, you are today in the heaven that you have established within yourself. You can see the heaven that you have established within yourself because it is the consciousness of your being pushed out. It's the evidence of your life reveals to you the state that you are living in. Are you living in heaven or are you living in hell? If you've been living in hell with all of its furnaces, now would be the time to decapitate that old state of being and to give birth and new life to a new state of being. But remember, we don't hold those seeds in escrow. We hold those seeds of desire. We let them, we release them. We let them fall into the ever-prepared soil, knowing that they contain within them the recipe for fulfillment without an anxious thought, without any type of worry. We simply accept them. Thank you, Father. I know the secret. I know that my consciousness of being does outpicture and create the circumstances of my life. So I'm going to continue in the full faith and trust that this is the law of the universe. And this law of the universe is no respecter of persons. It's not going to change its mind just because it's me. My consciousness of being does outpicture into my reality. And in that principle of consciousness, I can have full and complete faith and trust. That's all for this episode of Daily Neville. In the next, we will continue with the metaphysical act, which is fishing. Until then, imagine wisely, my friends, and I will see you all in the next.
If you're like many of the subscribers on my YouTube channel, you may be asking yourself, is there a level two to these teachings? If all of this daily Neville and law of attraction and law of assumption is level one, what's level two? What is the advanced application of these ideas? I'm here to tell you there is a level two to these ideas, and I'm teaching it right now here on YouTube for my private mentorship group. If you're interested in joining a small focused community of creators who are really taking their application of these ideas to the next level and igniting their potential in new and profound ways, I invite you to tap the link in the video description below that takes you to my YouTube membership. If you join the membership, you get access to advanced lessons that take these ideas beyond the introductory, beyond the basics, to a whole new level of advanced application. Check out the description below, tap that join link, and I look forward to seeing you in the members area. Imagine wisely, my friends.